This is the IHS Market Fertilicon Fertilizer Podcast, covering news and events in global fertilizer markets. The following installment of Urea Never Sleeps was recorded on July 17, 2020. So, welcome everyone to a new uh, Urea Never Sleeps podcast. Um, my name is Elfie Middlebeek and I'm a senior analyst uh, for Urea at Verticon. And I'm here with my brand new co-host, Kuganiga Kuganeswaran, who's also an analyst at Verticon. Hey, Kugs, as we'll call you. Hi, Elfie. Hi, everyone. How are you doing this week, Elfie? Yeah, I'm really good. I mean, uh, first up, I mean, I have to give a quick shout out to uh, to Carl, obviously, um, Carl Stenderson, who was my previous co-host, who sadly left the company, but uh, he hasn't gone too far. So he's hopefully not completely out of our lives. Um, so, yeah, I'm guessing I mean, I've, I've kind of taken over from Carl on the on the sort of short term, long term forecasting side of the rear market now. So I kind of feel like I'm the new Carl. Um, <laughs> but sadly, I don't really have his Minnesota accent, which I know everyone's going to miss. I mean, I always my favorite thing about Carl's accent was always how he said about, but I can't I can't do it. Can you do it, Cooks? No, I, I'm not going to attempt it because I don't want to offend Carl in case he's listening. Like, oh, that's not how I sound. <laughs> I was just thinking that. But um, but yeah, Cook, so um, obviously uh, you've been with us two years now, right? Vertical? Yeah, it's two years. Hmm, and you were the potash queen before and now you've uh, taken over the new Urea throne. How has it, how's it been so far? Uh, it's been interesting. So I took over when the results of the last um, India tender were happening. So the 19th June RCF tender. And obviously today we've just seen the results for the MMTC tender. Yeah, exactly. No, I love uh, I love an India day. So, um, so yeah, we're recording today. It's the 17th of July. I'm in Newcastle. It's raining as usual. <laughs> but uh, I know it's, it's, you know, UK summer. English summer rain, right? But um, I mean, in London we have some sun here. It's quite warm. I see, it's well, it's okay here. Actually, it's 18, so 19, 18. It's just you know we just need the sun to to blast through, and then it'll be nice. But uh, there we go. At least we've got no mosquitoes here. So I think that's that's what yeah. I was thinking the other day. Um, but yeah, I mean India, obviously fresh off the press. So what what do we know so far of the, of what happened in the tender? I mean, I think the L1s were lower than what many people in the market had expected. There was sort of a consensus that prices would be around the mid-240s CFR. But as we saw today, the lowest offer came from Samsung at 240.75 CFR East Coast and on the West Coast from Midgulf at 242.50 CFR. So obviously this begs the question, how much tons will we actually see from China now at these prices? Yeah, I think it's um, it's interesting. I mean, I, as you say, it's the East Coast. Um, again, that's the lowest, right? I'm sure that was the same in the last tender. Um, and it's kind of that time of the year, right, where we are expecting more Chinese exports. Um, it, it's always a million dollar question, of course. I mean, how much is going to come out of out of China? How much was um, coming last tender? I don't think it was that much. I think it was about 
No, you're right. Oh, three cargoes. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. See, if two, for two minutes I've been out of the day-to-day Urea Mac and I already don't <laughs> how many tons we're moving. Um, but yeah, I mean, really, if we're, if we're looking at operating rates, um, they have come down. Uh, that's operating rates in China, of course, because um, they had been running at like 160,000 tons per day um, in June. Uh, which is about sort of 53 million uh, tons per year. And, and and we usually have that consumption down for about 50 million. So that, you know, obviously leaves the rest um, for exports. Um, but at the moment, they're running at around 150,000 uh, tons per day. So that would be about 50 million. I mean, I think a lot of it is to do with turnarounds um, still ongoing, right? That's usually this time of the year, uh, something that a lot of the producers um, get involved in. Um, and then, I mean, exports January to May, I think it was about 1.5 million tons, um, which were a bit lower at the start of the year. But obviously, recently we have seen them seen them increase. I think for May it was like 600,000 tons, right? So that was a little bit of a surprise. And I mean, this time of the year, like I was saying, the domestic season is is sort of coming to an end. Um, and and so I would think we would see more more exports. And and India, as uh, as um, as you know, is has been the highest paying market every time there's a tender for as long as I can remember. Um, in any case, so um, so I would think. For August, we're expecting something like 650,000 tons of exports from China. And I mean, most of the time, in, you know, this time of year would be mostly going to India. So I would I would think maybe four cargoes, maybe 400,000 tons. Um, but I guess it's, it, you know, it, it's also the question, um, do you think they're going to buy more for the East Coast or do you think more for the West Coast? Or, or what, do you, what do you kind of hear in Cooks? I think there seems to be an expectation that China might not be able to supply as much as people had anticipated because of these turnarounds, but also because of a tighter shipment period. So the previous tender ended 28th July and this one is shipment up to 20th August. So you have, what, 23 days between for the product that is beyond that shipment period to come from the plant to the port. So I'd say, yeah, maybe 300, 400,000 tons from the East Coast. Uh, there seems to be some AG products that's likely to go in there as well. And so that would be to the West Coast. Then we have uh, products from Eugenie, but obviously there's turnarounds going on there. Uh, so we might see less cargoes than in the previous tender. But it really yeah. depends how much China is willing to supply at this price. Do you think they're likely to go below the 230 FOB mark? I, I would think so. I mean, um, like I say, they have to um, export more at this time of year because mm-hmm. the d- domestic demand is falling. And therefore, I would think, like I say, if India is the highest paying market, it usually just becomes the ceiling. And in terms of their production costs, I think uh, it's sort of getting close to there in terms of the FOB levels, right? But we obviously coal prices also recently have moved down. So... I would think that that they would definitely accept it. I mean, freights obviously come up a little bit, right? Are we still seeing like a ten dollar to the East Coast, or is it a little bit more these days? I think maybe it's eleven, twelve dollars now. Yeah. So it is a little bit, little bit tight. So it, it's definitely, it's definitely going to be interesting to see how much they do commit. But obviously, considering that the the L1 is uh, East Coast, and I don't see it coming from anywhere else but China, 
mm-hmm. because it's not like the Indonesians, they haven't really been uh, accepting lower numbers, right? I mean, there was a cargo from Indonesia in the last tender and maybe we'll see another one in this tender, but they're definitely not in the spotlight for supply. Mm, definitely. So what are you seeing for consumption in India? Because we're hearing reports about how the monsoon is going well. Um, if India doesn't manage to buy as much as they had hoped in this tender, how soon are they likely to come back? Um, how much do they need? Mm. Well, I think, I mean, we were doing the balances um, and they obviously need to buy a lot, right? I mean, August is, I think it was last year, something like 4.8 million tons of domestic sales. Now, um, their domestic sales have been up anyway. I mean, it's it's been quite an interesting uh, period, obviously, because of the COVID situation. And uh, we were looking a little bit about the impacts on the urea market. And one of the interesting sides of it, which is actually a bit surprising, is that we have seen uh, domestic sales in India move up a lot. So April was like 1.1 uh, 1.1 million tons. May was like 2.02 million tons. So uh, that's that's up a lot, especially May. I think it's like 84% up from from last year May. Um, so we think that there, there definitely is some uh, earlier buying going on, just to make sure that the tons are in place, um, as as people possibly are expecting. Maybe the logistics are going to be affected. So I think um, I think. I think they will try and buy uh, a million tons, um, right? Which which could be could be a little bit tricky. I mean, I think they 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 still. I still think even if they buy a million tons, they'll need to come back uh, as soon as possible. So I would expect really that they would return uh, with another tender sort of probably around sort of um, second half August, probably around the 20th. Usually they, a lot of the times they kind of come back in uh, when the last shipment period uh, of the previous tender finishes, right? So so let's see anyway, but that's um, that's kind of what we're expecting. I think India really is going to continue to, to drive the market um, at this time of the year because obviously, you know, the US season's finished. Europe, um, I mean, Europe, they, they obviously have been uh, buying for forward uh, for the next season, but, um, but that's obviously not really a driver. So I would think also India this time of year would really be interesting also for um, produced in Egypt possibly going forward. I mean, obviously not at these prices, right? But maybe in the next tender, um, that, that could again be some Egyptian uh, involvement. Because I think if, you know, as soon as Egypt is involved in India, then it means that, you know, they can drive a harder bargain on the European side, right? Yeah, especially when Europe is quite quiet at the moment. When they come back, they might find that post another August tender, they're looking at higher prices because Egypt has achieved higher in India. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what are you hearing in terms of how much has been done for forward bids in in Europe? I don't think it has been that much because there was this whole situation in the UK where you had um, on-farm, so domestic to uh, end-user sales um, in the two tens bag delivered farm and that was on the expectation that Egypt will be at 200 or even below 200 fob but then you know we saw these sales um, into Argentina and Egypt by June went up to 240 FOB Mm. and then the season became quiet so I think a lot will depend 
come September um, after the harvest, how much money um, the farmers have been able to gather to buy mm-hmm. more product. Yeah, definitely. I also think it's um, it's interesting because obviously a lot of people have been talking about lower feedstock costs and, and, and wealth is obviously uh, definitely something that that is happening. I think there's also um, kind of a, always a psychological border whenever um, you know urea goes below the 200 fob, right? So we obviously previously saw some forward sales uh, into into Europe that were netting back to just below the 200, right? So it's 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 not always a just because uh, the producer can go lower um, because of feedstock costs that it actually um, uh, happens, right? If there's still if people sort of see, oh, you know, that seems low, or there's there's obviously more uh, downside than upside, then um, then we kind of tend to see a recovery, um, which is quite interesting. I mean, from the time that you've covered urea in the past before you've now gone on to do the long term, has there been a change in how much has been covered for forward? Has the culture of selling more for the new season um, in the spring months compared to selling spot when you're actually in the season during autumn switched or? Yeah, I mean, I definitely would say so. I mean, um, obviously, we've seen more of the producers um, uh, playing a bigger role in the distribution on the ground. Uh, and therefore, for, for a lot of the buyers, um, there's always products available on the ground. So why would you sort of risk it uh, and, and, and pay uh, pay a price and get a you know 20,000 25,000 ton vessel coming in if you can just buy smaller lots I mean as as, as you well know the urea market is very volatile and it, there's there's also um, this at the same time there have been some traders that really had their fingers burnt in the past um, because of uh, because of forward sales um, and kind of making the the wrong assumption if you like so um, I think there has been a trend uh, towards less urea buying uh, uh, on a forward basis in Europe, definitely. And I would also think um, the consumption is, is is another thing, right? I mean, if we look at Germany, I think for 2019, the consumption fell to something like 220 uh, to 300,000 um, tons, which is obviously also to do with a lot of the regulation um, that's been put in place in Germany uh, regarding that all, that all the urea going on the ground needs to be coated in the uh, slow release inhibitor, right? And and with these these new initiatives from from the European Commission in terms of uh, you know the farm to fork strategy, the Green Deal, that kind of thing, I would expect that uh, Germany's maybe more of kind of like a good case study to to look at in terms of where the rest of the European market's probably going to go towards. So so I think uh, it, you know watch watch this space if you like in terms. Of- <laughs> see see what what happens i mean obviously that's the case for europe but one market that doesn't seem to be you know cutting down on their urea purchases is brazil which is always a big topic definitely definitely i mean in terms of in, in terms of brazil um yeah i'd be interesting to see interested to hear what what you're really hearing there i mean it seems obviously uh prices are still looking quite supported right yeah, I mean, after the announcement of the India tender last week, um, offers this week um, before today, so 17th July, started going up to above the 250 CFR mark. But obviously you had those vessels, um, July shipments that were oncoming 
and there were some product, uh, some volumes being sold at in the low 240s up to the high 240s CFR. So that 250 CFR hadn't been achieved yet. And I think there was some expectation or hope that if India had, you know, been a bit higher in the mid 240s CFR, that level of above 250 CFR could have been achieved uh, for August shipment. But with this lower than expected India price combined with higher freights, as you spoke about earlier, it seems that Brazil will kind of just stay flat. Mm. No, definitely. That that's yeah, that's that that seems uh like good analysis, I think. I mean, like you say, a lot of the times India um, will just sort of be a ceiling um, for the market. So I would would think that that kind of uh, puts a little bit of a damper on uh, on the party in Brazil. But um, but no, I mean imports. Of course, if we're looking at the April March fertilizer year, are still up. I think 35%. Uh, mostly April May. I think June was a little bit lower. I think it was like 340,000 tons. Um, but uh, I mean, it's it's interesting if we're looking at the the COVID situations. Obviously, still uh, a major um, topic in the in well, I mean, not just in the urea market. It's kind of uh, you know we can't we can't avoid uh, talking about COVID um, uh, at this point in time as as the pandemic is obviously still going on, and we, you know, especially in in countries like Brazil, we have to see if that if that has an impact. But um, I'm, I mean, like I was saying before, there have been some surprises. Um, um, not just in in terms of India domestic sales moving up, but also um, we had thought that possibly there would be um, an impact on production levels in India on the back of the um, the countrywide lockdown that was announced on the 23rd of March, um, and which is kind of in various degrees. I mean, it's kind of finished now, but I think it's still in in certain zones um, uh, in force, and so. Um, production levels really remained at an average of, of 1.97 million tons per month in the March-May period, which is um, compares to 1.9 or something in the same period in 2019. So therefore, it's it's not really it's not really seem it doesn't really seem to have had such an impact on production. And also, as I was saying, domestic sales are obviously up. So this is definitely uh, a real positive for the urea market, as you know, India one of the biggest uh, importers. So always need to keep an eye on what ha- was happening there. And then also in terms of China, um, what we're hearing in terms of Q1, uh, Q1 obviously was uh, sort of the biggest impact, COVID impact in China, uh, you know, Mm-hmm. At the time, it obviously wasn't declared a, a pandemic yet, right? So um, the government in in, um, in China really provided all these incentives to to sort of keep the economy running, and 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 especially fertilizers seen as an essential good by a lot by most countries around the world, right? To keep the um, the, the the food supply um, all covered. So um, what we were hearing is is that um, consumption of urea, domestic consumption of urea was actually up 14% uh, at 12 million tons in Q1, which is uh, quite a big increase because we have really seen a concerted effort in general on the fertilizer side uh, from the government in China over the last few years that they're trying to actually uh, have negative growth in fertilizers, right? So it's quite a big change because I think for all of 2019, it was something like urea consumption was up by like 0.4 or something. Uh, 0.4% or something like that, right? So that's been quite interesting and maybe a bit of a uh, um, impact 
from COVID that we hadn't really expected. Uh, so really in terms of the, uh, you know, Urea has obviously fared a lot better in terms of uh, the COVID impact compared to other commodities. I mean, I have to say on the industrial side though, which obviously is a huge market in China as well. I mean, um, and the industrial use of urea, it's mostly goes to um, urea formaldehyde resins uh, and, and also melamine. So these markets, obviously, if you're looking at the sort of downstream furniture making, uh, it, you know, obviously that's, that looks to be very much impacted. And I think for 2020, we're really expecting uh, a drop of a million tons in terms of consumption in, in China. So that's the other side of, of the knife. So possibly, uh, you know, that, that's, that's yeah, I mean, not possibly, but that's that's really a negative, right? So, but I guess that's not really as much of a surprise. Then I think also just looking at the review and, and what we've, um, what the impacts have been on in terms of COVID. Obviously we saw lower freight rates, right? I mean, there were, uh, you know, a lot of these uh, industrial plants weren't running. I mean, most industry that wasn't essential in countries where they had a lockdown wasn't running, which meant obviously less uh, vessels were being used. So there were more vessels in the market and at the same time, the oil price were lower. So the bunker price was lower, right? So we, we really have seen um, this supporting FOBs on the on the urea side. But now at, at this point in time, obviously, we are seeing uh, a sort of that trend as as you know, uh, we see freight rates moving up. Um, and then I would think in terms of feedstock costs also, um, like I say, that's been a real uh, big topic. Um, Q3, we're still expecting it to be uh, quite depressed. I mean, with uh, IHS market is uh, actually forecasting an average Henry Hub price at like a one point. Uh, 150 uh, per MMBTU dollars, and this is actually the same level that's expected for the Dutch TTF. So, um, so that's interesting. However, in the US, we are expecting uh, uh, that 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 could be a sharp recovery in terms of uh, natural gas prices at the end of 2020, because um, because at the moment, um, as you may know, the there's a lot of producers in in the states, uh, oil and gas producers, right? So obviously, it's you know when the oil price moves down. We'll see some some shutdowns and that shutdowns uh, on that side, which obviously takes some of the supply out of the market. So that's kind of why we're expecting this recovery. And also, um, it's the winter season, right? So there's always um, always a bit of a change in the trend in, in gas prices. So that will be uh, interesting to to keep an eye on going forward. Thanks, Alfie. I mean, that gave I'm sure a lot of people a lot to think about. Uh, just to quickly go back to India, so. Obviously, their domestic product production is quite in line with 2019 levels, is what you were saying, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what about the fact that they've lost these uh, MIFCO tons now? Will that mean it, that supply will still come from the AG on a spot basis via the tenders or maybe leave room open for other suppliers? I would think that that a lot of that uh, is likely still to end up in India. I mean, it obviously puts more of the it puts even more of an emphasis on uh, the importance of 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 the tenders that are being held in India, right? I mean, um, if you already have um, tons on the contract coming in, then you then you you, you obviously less. Um, you know, it puts you in a better position because you've already got this. So, you you know, you can pl almost, um, it, it's it's easier then to, to hold a tender because you're not, you still have tons coming in, you know, you're not completely uh, relying on this tender. Whereas obviously with MIFCO out, 
Um, I think a lot of it probably will still end up in India because India, at the end of the day, is still the highest paying market most of the time whenever there's a tender, right? So it still makes sense. And also the proximity, uh, of course, to uh, to India and it's quite a short um, shipment period. So I think I think we're likely to still see these tons, but at the same time, it's it's kind of in the hands of of whoever holds the Omifco tons now, and no longer in the hands of the of the Indian government themselves, right? So so that should it should definitely increase the the amounts that they'll need to buy through tenders for sure. Okay, thanks, Alfie. So let's um, let's go to our fancy fancy segment, the project of the month, or POTM, as I like to call it. <laughs> I hope that'll catch on. I know it's a bit. I feel a little bit like one of those um, millennials that's on uh, on TikTok. You know, it's <laughs> maybe maybe I've missed. Uh, I've missed my time a little bit. You know, maybe it's uh, it's not for me. But uh, but yeah, what are we talking about today, Cooks? So today we're talking about the Dangosi project in Nigeria. Can you tell us a little bit more about it, Alfie? Yeah, so um, I know we've discussed the Dangoti project uh, before on the pod, um, but really it's 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 kind of going to uh, have a big impact in the market. It's always interesting when there's kind of a new new plant, right? Um, so um, the Dangoti plant, um, there's a, it's a new project, two lines. Uh, once they're all completed, the, the total capacity is going to be like 2.5 million tons a year. And this is where... It's quite interesting because Indorama, which is obviously already producing at the moment, they also have a second line that we're expecting in, uh, to start commercial production in 2022. Um, and so when, when that's the case, uh, Nigerian capacity is going to be something like 5 million tons, right? And of course, they're not going to run at you know nameplate capacity, but um, it's interesting when you're looking at the proximity to Brazil, and um, you know Brazilian imports. I think for 2020, we're expecting something like six million tons for um, for the calendar year, right? So it's definitely a real threat to um, all the other um, sellers into Brazil. Um, with Dangote, obviously, um, even last year we were hearing reports that they will start exporting soon. I mean, from the latest information, what do we know about when they're likely to both start up? production but also export mm. so um yeah so so nigeria obviously also has been hit by covid i mean we had earlier in the year heard uh, that they were uh, planning to start production in June and also start exports in June. Um, but the latest that we've we've heard, I mean, they, there were some local press reports that said that, that was quoting uh, the company itself, and and they were suggesting September would be the the start of the first line. So the first line would be like 1.27. Uh, million tons capacity and then the second line would have the same capacity to come on stream later on um and um the expectation from from the from the producer itself is really that as soon as they start production they'll have exports um however it really we're expecting that exports are going to be a little bit constrained over the first uh, one to two years because of bottlenecks um currently uh, at the available ports of, of tin can island and apapa because um there's a a, a 
construction going on on, on Lecky port, which is going to be the designated uh, uh, port for exports of urea from the Dangote plant. Um, uh, and that's that should be all finished by mid 2022. But I would think that before then, um, as soon as the plant's running, obviously uh, uh, they'll want to gain market share. Um, and so I would think that they'll try and, and, and push uh, turns out from as, as soon as, as they start running, really. I mean, the interesting thing is, is like I say, the company itself is indicating uh, September should be the time. But we were hearing from a lot of people in the market that they're not expecting really anything uh, of volume until 2021. So, so perhaps it would be more of a... Um, an impact um, next year, um, I would imagine. I mean, in terms of destinations where that product would go, Brazil would obviously be a major one. But what about locally um, in Africa? Yeah, I mean, I think also the, the domestic um, Nigerian market has obviously been taking uh, quite a lot of turns. I mean, we haven't really seen Indorama uh, with a lot of exports recently, right, for quite a while. So I think definitely uh, that's a growing market. I know in, in, in West Africa, um, traditionally, there's been a lot of buying of Prilgeria. Um, I, I think a lot of it's to do with um, the, the prices obviously used to be a lot lower for Prilgeria compared to Granularia, but as we've seen more capacity coming on stream on the Granularia side, um, that price difference is much lower now and it kind of you know, at times we've seen Prilgeria even be more expensive, right? So I think it's also seems to be a, a general trend in any case that, you know, as soon as, uh, if, if you're used to buying Prilgeria, but you can then buy Granularia over time, it seems to be that people then switch to, to preferring Granularia. So I think um, that will definitely be a market, but I mean, if, they, if they're running uh, two lines in the end, I mean, I think the two lines at 1.27 million tons that's definitely uh going to be uh, mostly geared towards the export market especially if we also have indorama where, with the second line coming on stream then I, it would just mostly have an impact on on the export market and like you say i mean brazil's obviously uh, uh the main uh suspect for where the exports are going to go i would think also maybe the us it's, it's just i mean the freight rate from from brazil to nigeria is it's usually around 10 bucks right a lot of the time so uh it's obviously very cheap i think it's definitely um going to impact ag producers especially because you know the proximity is just just further out um so perhaps they would have to look more uh, eastwards um once we have all this nigerian production running what will the increased options for uh, from Dangote provide for Brazil? Obviously, consumption for them is increasing across all fertilizers, whether that's urea, potash, um, ammonium nitrate. They seem to be wanting uh, to buy more, especially as their own crops increase as well. I mean, it's um, Brazil. Obviously, there's a Petrobras plant, right? They're all they're all down. Obviously, Unigel uh, is now going to lease the um, what is it, Camasari and the Sagipe plants, um, which you know they're running prilled product. Well, they're planning to run prilled production there. Um, so aside from that, there's no local production of urea, right? So obviously, 
you then have to look, okay, what's, you know, who are the uh, low cost producers and Nigeria is definitely going to be one of the ones that uh, it's one of the lowest cost producers. And therefore, I would think Brazil is very much um, a price market, right? I mean, there's so many options for the Brazilians uh, in terms of imports. Um, so I would think that it just makes sense to to take it there and it makes sense for the Brazilians to buy the Nigerian yeah that makes sense (laughs) yeah thanks Alfie and thanks to everyone for listening as always please rate us you can find us on Apple and Google podcast just search for IHS market fertilizer or urea never sleeps yeah thanks everyone and um yeah also please rate us only five stars of course um and um subscribe so you never miss an app and if you have any comments for us um i mean these days cooks right we can find us on on twitter you can find us on linkedin we are all over the internet um so yeah find us uh and and let us know what you think and we'd love to hear it thank you All right. Cheers, cooks. Have a good weekend. You too. Bye. For more information on IHS Market and our other fertilizer coverage, visit the link in the show description. Thank you for listening.